Hope you guys are having a great day today. My name is Matthew Spazitti and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spazitti program where we talk about financial freedom and economics and a whole host of other topics as well. So if you guys are joining me here for the very first time, you know, first and foremost, I want to say thank you. And I want to ask you guys to take the 10 episode challenge. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, the reason I ask you to do this is because I think I feel like there's a lot of value in the last 10 episodes. And I believe that you guys are just not going to get the most value out of this podcast if you don't go listen to the last 10 episodes. You know, I, I'm going to be referencing stuff from those episodes as well. So if you guys go and do that, you guys will be aware of what I'm talking about. And, and I just, I truly, I really believe that there's a lot of stuff back there that you guys would would really really enjoy and and it will really increase the value that you're going to get when when it comes to the show. So that said, if you guys are loving what I'm doing here and you absolutely love this message of financial freedom and you're loving the podcast, then please go give me a rating and review on iTunes. Ladies and gentlemen, it's one of the best ways that you guys can, you know, help support the show. It allows me to get on the rankings with regards to the iTunes and whatnot. So if you guys are loving what I'm doing here, then please go check it out and give me a rating review there. All right. So today I wanted to talk about a something that I've been seeing floating around on Zero Hedge and and even on Malden Economics, uh, his thought, John Malden's thoughts from the Frontline Newsletter and whatnot. And I'm just, it's been, it's called the Great Reset. I've also been seeing it on Mises Institute as well. And now I do think, uh, just for reference, I do think that John Malden is talking about something different than what everyone else is talking about with regards to the Great Reset. John Malden's looking at it more from an economic standpoint. He's referring to it with regards to the the overall global debt and and all that kind of stuff that exists. That we just we're going to have to reset the economy. We're going to have to reset the debt. You know, governments around the world are going to print currency, a, a engage in inflation, and ultimately destroy the currencies as a way of defaulting and stuff. And that's really, I think, more what John Malden's talking about. But there's a a very very scary political side to this terminology as well. So, but I got curious, right? And uh, maybe that was a bad thing, you know, <laughs> say curiosity kills the killed the cat, right? You know, but anyways, I'm always curious. I'm always researching things. And when I heard about this great reset, I'm like, all right, I'm sick and tired of this. I have heard this term thrown around a ton, uh, especially very recently with the whole scare pandemic of COVID-19 and all that kind of stuff, all the fear that's been generated and, and one and ginned up around this whole, you know, basically a virus that nobody really needs to be afraid of, or at least not anyone who, who isn't, doesn't have a massive amount of pre-existing conditions and is, and is really old. If you're not in that boat, you really don't have anything to worry about. But even when you do consider the very, very old people that have been dying by this, and it, I don't mean to diminish their, 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 them passing away or whatnot, but even when you consider them, the fatality rate is still extremely low. It's not very high at all. So again, uh, and it, it really leads me to believe that this whole COVID-19 was, was fabricated. Not that the virus doesn't exist, but that 
it's it's fabricated in the sense that it wasn't. It, it, there's really not real uh, an issue here. They just created the issue for who knows what reason. Maybe it's to advance this whole idea of the Great Reset. Maybe it's to allow the government to continue to print more money. Uh, some people say they didn't need an excuse to do that. I don't know. I think they kind of did. You know, they needed some kind of a, a legitimate excuse to go printing trillions and trillions of dollars, lining the pockets of big corporations and whatnot, gaining more power and things of that nature. I mean, the government's power and influence leaps forward during these this time of, of crisis and stuff of that nature. So if they can create an artificial crisis and the, the people of the world, or at least in the nation, actually believe it, then they can control when they're leaping forward in terms of their power, authority, and, and control. Which is a very, very scary thing if you think about it, because it would basically mean that the entire COVID-19, and, and many people will not want to admit it because they don't want to admit that they suffered for nothing. They want to believe that there really was a pandemic out there. I don't think there was. I Again, I think that the virus is nothing to be worried about. It's really not worse than the flu or even a cold. Maybe it's just a bad cold. That's about it. But it's nothing that we needed to lock down for. It's nothing like the Spanish flu. And really, the, the, the Spanish influenza, the, the flu... You know, even then, to be completely fair with you, uh, really didn't kill a ton of people. It was really more than pneumonia that did. And back then, they didn't really have a lot of treatments for pneumonia. So, just something to keep in mind. But that's uh, anyways, that said, you know, I, I think this whole pandemic has been ginned up. I think there is a virus out there, but it's not deadly, and it wasn't, and there, and there was no reason to do this. And I think there was a very concerted effort from a lot of different uh, people from a lot of different organizations that kind of all collaborated together. And I don't know if they intentionally collaborated or what, but I just think it all came together in order to create this pandemic so that their government's power and authority could leap forward so that they could give money to big corporations and a whole host of other things. There's a lot of corporations out there, ladies and gentlemen, that have gotten money that didn't need it at all. And there are many big corporations that got money that did technically need it, but then, you know, with the typical legal methods they could use, many of those companies are going to be, are going to, you know, restructure, declare bankruptcy, and ultimately are going to be okay, um, if they even have to go that route in the first place. But they'll survive, and all that money, they can pocket. They can use for stock buybacks. The fact of the matter, ladies and gentlemen, is that this whole pandemic was nothing more than, than, than one big lie. It's, there's nothing to be afraid of. The virus is nothing to be afraid of. Well, anyways, that, uh, you know, with all of this idea of the Great Reset, you know, floating around, I, I started doing some research and I was like, okay, what is the Great Reset? You know, what, what are people talking about? And I came up with three different articles and I, I came up with a lot of other readings, but the, these three different articles are, are by far I think the the best at describing what exactly the Great Reset is. Now, I don't know if I'm going to read all three of these because they're quite long, probably about 10 minutes each. 30 minutes of the episode would literally be me reading these articles. And I know that because I actually did a pre-recording of these articles and whatnot uh, before uh, coming in here and recording this. And, well, suffice to say, I realized that it actually really hurt what I was going to talk about. 
So I decided uh, I'm not going, I was basically intending to just record them and then basically weave them in to the rest of the, the, the podcast and whatnot. And, you know, as I go along and I decided that I'm not going to do that because in the end, it's better for me to kind of read them in the actual episodes so that I can, I, I can play off of it a bit more, right? So that's what I decided to do and whatnot, which means that most of the work I did before was kind of wasted work. But anyways, I'm not going to read all the articles. So that said, what is the Great Reset? You know, from as far as I can tell, it is the agenda of a bunch of very, very top elites from all around the world that basically have this idea that came from uh, the Greek philosopher Plato, where he wanted to construct a whole society by basically placing what he determined as wise men, which were like philosophers to him. And he put them at the helm of the government and they would effectively manage the government. And that was, and that's kind of where the, a lot of this idea kind of comes from was the Greek philosopher Plato. And in reality, what it is, is it's an attempt to centralize the entire world under one banner, the one world government. Now, it's very interesting for me because, you know, I'm a Christian, right? And a lot of the things that they talk about wanting to do on the Great Reset, a lot of that sounds like stuff that you read in Revelations. I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, with the last book of the Bible, the Revelations, but... You know, it talks about a one world government, talks about an antichrist who will who will bring about the one world government through war and all kinds of stuff. And because of technology, they will use technology to control people and things of that nature. A third of the population of the world will die, which is a massive amount of people. And uh, it doesn't you don't get a lot of details of how all this happens, but you do get uh, some insights from biblical prophecy, which is one of the reasons that I, I absolutely love eschatology. Eschatology is the study of end time prophecy, and I absolutely love it. It's um, I don't know. It just kind of plays into my mind. I've always been a future focused person. I've always been looking towards the future, what I want out of my life and all that kind of stuff. And I've, I've always been that, that way, you know, kind of, uh, it, it tends to materialize itself in me worrying about the future and whatnot. But I mean, I've always been that way. So when I, I started, um, I guess questioning my faith years and years and years ago, I started doing uh, studying eschatology and I started studying end time prophecy and you know I was questioning my faith. I wanted to know whether whether my faith was real and how I came around to determining that it was was I found end time prophecy, biblical prophecy that has actually come to that a lot of it has come to light and a lot of it is still coming, but we can see how it's going to happen. Or at least we can, we have a good idea about it. I mean, a long time ago, my dad, he was sitting in, in uh, one of his seminary classes years and years and years ago. And he remembers how they were saying how uh, the prophets will come back and they will be beaten and, and killed basically in the streets, right? And ultimately, that, that the whole world will see this happening and the prophets will recover and rise up right before the very eyes of this angry mob of people. And it's very, very fascinating because a lot of people were like, how the heck is the whole world going to see this? Well, the, the technology at the time when my dad was hearing this wasn't there. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the internet. Or at least the internet was very, very much in its infancy at the time. So no one could really picture how any of this was going to come about. Now, though, now that we have the technology today, it's like, oh, well, yeah, someone's just going to record it on their cell phone. 
or maybe there'll be a camera or something, but people will know. I mean, either there'll be a camera like in a big media corporation or, I mean, if it's a mob and, and whatnot, maybe pro- probably more cell phone stuff and whatnot. It's just very, very fascinating. Now, if you guys are not Christians, look, I, look, I, I am, okay? And I'm going to talk about it all on my show. This isn't going to be a church sermon. I'm not a Bible beater, okay? I, I, you know, if you're not a Christian, I'm not going to tell you, you need Christ or you're going to go to hell or anything of the sort. I'm not, I'm not going to beat you over the head. I, I do think you should become a Christian, and of course, naturally. But, um, you know, that's, that, that, that's your choice, okay? And I'm not going to beat you over the head about any of that kind of stuff. That's not, that's not the intention of this podcast. But that said, my faith is part of who I am. It shapes my worldview. So it's important to, to, uh, to, to reference it. It's important to talk about it. That said, though, this great reset stuff is all about a one world government. It's all about uniting the world under one government. It's all about uh, this other term that keeps coming up, technocracy and trans, transhumanism, eugenics and things of that nature. And it's all really, really creepy stuff. Like, it's really creepy. So, but I mean, I started reading some articles and yeah. So what the Great Reset is, it's, it's basically a shaking up of society, right? It, it, it's it's transforming the world and everything in it. It's basically, what it is, is it's uniting the world under one banner, under one go- a one world government. And they say they're going to do this to control, you know, to efficiently control the resources and to ultimately do stuff that's better for the environment and and to create a more equal living standard for, you know, everyday people and whatnot. But, you know, we we, we all know that's a load of BS. The fact of the matter is they want to unite the world under a one world banner. They plan to attempt to do this by through many means, but transhumanism is one of those means, which is where they, they merge humans with machines. So kind of think cyborgs, right? And and that's kind of the idea behind it all. It's very, very scary stuff. But anyways, I got a few articles here where we talk about it, and uh, I'll probably only do about two of these articles because I think that it, they're very, very long. We'll do one article, we'll do some affiliate programs, we'll do the next article, and then we'll close out the show. So let's go ahead and uh, get into it. So the first article we're going to be reading here is The United Nations and the Origins of the Great Reset by Anthony P. Mueller, and it was published on November 18th of this year, so 2020, and it, and it was published at the Mises Institute, uh, Mises.org, and I'll put the link in the show notes page below. About 2,400 years ago, the Greek philosopher Plato came up with the idea constructing the state and society according to an elaborate plan. Plato wanted wise men, philosophers, at the helm of the government, but he made it also clear that his kind of state would need a transformation of the, of the humans. In modern times, the promoters of the omnipotent state want to substitute Plato's philosopher with the expert and create the new man through eugenics, which is now called transhumanism. The United Nations and its various sub-organizations play a pivotal role in this project, which has reached its present stage in the project of the Agenda 2030 and the Great Reset. The struggle for world government. The Great Reset did not come from nowhere. The first modern attempts to create a global institution with a governmental function was launched by the government of Woodrow Wilson, who acted as U.S. President from 1913 to 1921. Under the inspiration of Colonel Mandel House, the president's prime advisor and best friend, Wilson wanted to establish a world forum for the period after World War I. Yet the plan of American participation in the League of Nations failed, and the drive toward internationalism and establishing a new world order receded during the Roaring Twenties. 
A new move toward managing a society like an organization, however, came during the Great Depression. Franklin Delano Roosevelt did not let the crisis go by without driving the agenda forward with his New Deal. FDR was especially interested in the, in the special executive privileges that came with the Second World War. Resistance was almost nil when he moved forward to lay the groundwork for a new League of Nations, which was now to be named the United Nations. Under the leadership of Stalin, Churchill, and Roosevelt, 26 nations agreed in January 1942 to the initiative of establishing a United Nations organization, UNO, which came into existence on October 24, 1945. Since its inception, the United Nations and its branches, such as the World Bank Group and the World Health Organization, have prepared the countries of the world to comply with the goals that were announced at its foundation. Yet the unctuous pronouncements of promoting international peace and security, developing friendly relations among nations and working for social progress, better living standards, and human rights hide the agenda of establishing a world government with executive powers whose task would not be promoting liberty and free markets, but greater interventionism and control through cultural and scientific organizations. This became clear with the creation of the United Nations Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization, UNESCO, in 1945. Eugenics. After the foundation of UNESCO in 1945, the English evolutionary biologist, eugenicist, and declared globalist Julian Huxley, the brother of Aldous Huxley, author of Brave New World, became its first director. At the launch of the organization, Huxley called for a scientific world humanism global in extent and asked to manipulate human evolution to a desirable end, referring to dialectical materialism as the first radical attempt at an evolutionary philosophy. The director of UNESCO laments that the Marxist approach to changing society was bound to fail because of its lack of an indispensable biological component. With these ideas, Julian Huxley was in respectable company. Since the late 19th century, the call for the genetic betterment of the human race through eugenics has been gaining many prominent followers. John Maynard Keynes, for example, held the promotion of eugenics and population control as one of the most important social questions and a crucial area of research. Keynes was not alone. The list of advocates of breeding the human race for its own betterment is quite large and impressive. These illiberal reformers include among many other well-known names, the writers H.G. Wells and G.B. Shaw, U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt, and British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, as well as the economist Irving Fisher, and the family planning pioneers Margaret Sanger and Bill Gates Sr., the father of Bill Gates, Microsoft founder and head of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. In his discourse at the foundation of the UNESCO, Julian Huxley was quite specific about the goals and methods of this institution. To achieve the desired evolutionary progress of mankind, the first step must be to stress the ultimate need for world political unity and familiarize all peoples with the implications of the transfer of full sovereignty from separate nations to a world organization. Furthermore, the institution must consider the trade-off between the importance of quality as against quantity, which means it must take into account that there is an optimum range of size for every human organization as for every type of organism. The Educational, Scientific, and Cultural Organization of the UN should give special attention to unity and variety of the world's art and culture as well as the promotion of one single pool of scientific knowledge. Huxley makes it clear that human diversity is not for all. Variety for weaklings, fools, and moral deficients cannot but be bad. And because a considerable percentage of the population is not capable of profiting from higher education and is also a considerable percentage of young men suffer from physical weakness or mental instability, and these grounds are often genetic in origin, these groups must be excluded from the efforts of advancing human progress. 
In his discourse, Huxley diagnosed that at the time of his writing, the indirect effect of civilization is rather dysgenic instead of eugenic, and that in any case, it seems likely that the dead weight of genetic stupidity, physical weakness, and mental instability and disease proneness, which already exists in the human species, will prove too great a burden for real progress to be achieved. After all, it is essential that eugenics should be brought entirely with, within the border of science, for as already indicated in the not very remote future, the problem of improving the average quality of human beings is likely to become urgent, and this can only be accomplished by applying the findings of a truly scientific eugenics. Use of climate threat. The next decisive step toward the global economic transformation was taken with the first report of the Club of Rome. In 1968, the Club of Rome was initiated at the Rockefeller Estate Bellagio in Italy. Its first report was published in 1972 under the title, The Limits to Growth. The presidents emeritus of the Club of Rome, Alexander King, and the secretary of the club, General Bertrand Schneider, informed their report of the Council of the Club of Rome that when the members of the club were in search of identifying a new enemy, they listed pollution, global warming, and water shortages, and famines as the the most opportune items to be blamed on humanity with the implication that humanity itself must be reduced to keep these threats in check. Since the 1990s, several comprehensive initiatives toward a global system of control have been undertaken by the United Nations with Agenda 2021 and Agenda 2030. The 2030 agenda was adopted by all United Nations member states in 2015. It launched its blueprint for global change with the call to achieve 17 Sustainable Development Goals, SDGs. The key concept is sustainable development that includes population control as a crucial instrument. Saving the Earth has become the slogan of green policy warriors since the 1970s. The horror scenario of global warming has been a useful tool in their hands to gain political influence and finally rule over public discourse. In the meanwhile, these anti-capitalist groups have obtained a dominant influence in the media, the educational and judicial systems, and have become major players in the political arena. In many countries, particularly in Europe, the so-called Green Parties have become a pivotal factor in the political system. Many of the representatives are quite open in their demands to make society and the economy compatible with high ecological standards that require a profound reset of the present system. In 1945, Huxley noted that it is too early to propose outright a eugenic depopulation program, but advised that it will be more important for the organization to see that the eugenic problem is examined with the greatest care and that the public mind is informed of the issues at stake so that much that now is unthinkable may at least become thinkable. Huxley's caution is no longer necessary. In the meantime, the branches of the United Nations have gained such a level of power that even originally minor UN suborganizations, such as the World Health Organization, have been enabled to command individual governments around the world to obey their orders. The WHO and the International Monetary Fund, whose conditionality for loans has changed from fiscal restraints to the degree to which a country follows the rule set by the WHO, have become the supreme tandem to work toward establishing the New World Order. As Julian Huxley pointed out in his discourse in 1945, it is the task of the United Nations to do away with the economic freedom because let's say it's fair and capitalist economic systems have created a great deal of ugliness. The time has come to work toward the emergence of a single world culture. This must be done with the explicit help of the mass media and the educational systems. Conclusion? With the foundation of the United Nations and its sub-organizations, the drive to advance the programs of eugenics and transhumanism took a big step forward. 
Together with the activities of the Club of Rome, they have a stage to initiate the Great Reset that is going on currently. With the pronouncement of a pandemic, the goal of comprehensive government control of the economy and society has taken another leap toward transforming the economy and society. Freedom faces a new enemy. The tyranny comes under the disguise of expert rule and benevolent dictatorship. The new rulers do not justify their right to dominance because of divine providence, but now claim the right to rule the people in the name of universal health and safety based on presumed scientific evidence. So that was the first article, and it really was a very, very good article in my personal opinion. It really dis- defines the issue and in, in what the Great Reset is, where it ca- where it's coming from, the United Nations, and really, largely, what the Great Reset is all about. As far as I could tell, l- l- let's be honest, human nature is always one of centralizing power. Before we had governments, we had monarchs, and we had emperors, and there were many different kings all throughout history that wanted to unite the world under one banner, and that was theirs. You know, you had the Roman emperors that wanted to conquer tons of different civilizations. They wanted to conquer the world. You have examples in the Bible of, you know, the Tower of Babel with uh, Nimrod. He wanted to unite the world and basically, you know, build a tower that climbed all the way up to heaven type of thing. But there have been lots of other examples of kings who wanted to unite the world under one banner, you know, emperors and whatnot. It is a human trait, right? We always are tending toward the people in power, a lot of them, maybe not every single one of them. There were lots of leaders and lots of kings and lots of governments who didn't want to unite the world under one power, uh, under one banner. They just wanted to make their own countries uh, prosperous and whatnot. But there were some that did want to unite them under one banner, and I think it's part of human nature, the fallen nature of humanity, and I, I think that's where, where a lot of this comes from. So this, the ideas of uniting the world under one banner and whatnot, it, it's, it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun, right? And, and th- it's very much the way with this, too. But it is incredibly scary. Right, We now have the technology, or at least we can see the technology being developed, that certainly could give way to a type of Great Reset type of situation, a, a massive uh, crisis. A ma- it could be a massive financial crisis. I don't, I'm not trying to say it is this whole COVID-19 thing. I'm not trying to say that. But what I am trying to say is I think that, there, that a lot of the, the crisis, the economic crisis, the economic instability of the country and many other industrialized countries is not an accident. And I don't know, maybe this is a conspiracy theory. Maybe you're not going to like this because you're going to think, oh, it's a Matthew, you're getting into the conspiracy theory and type stuff. It's like, well, okay. But again, like I've, I've stated before, I am a Christian and the stuff about the great reset really reminds me a lot of the things that I've read in revelations with regards to the Bible. So for me, I think a one world government, I think that a lot of that stuff is absolutely where humanity is going. I, I, I absolutely do. I don't think that it's not, it's out of the realm of possibility to even consider that. I think that's exactly where we are going, ladies and gentlemen, at some point. Now, do I think it's in my lifetime? Do I think it's in your lifetime? No, I, I genuinely, I don't. But I don't really know for sure. Nobody does. But I, I don't think it's in our lifetime. I think the world has a lot more to go to get to that point. But still, it's a... Uh, you know, it's crazy and it's scary. But look, in the end, ladies and gentlemen, the fact of the matter is that humanity is always one of trying to centralize power, of trying to consolidate power, trying to unite the world. This is a tendency that humanity has. It's like part of the human condition, really. 
the seeking of power and more power. And what is the ultimate form of power? Having control over the entire world under one governmental banner. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the ultimate form of power. And then, ha- and not only having control of the whole world, but having absolute control over the whole world. Basically, an absolute monarchist over the whole world. Which, by the way, while I am a monarchist, I would not be in favor of that. Not even by the. Again, my version, my perfect version of monarchy would be a highly decentralized form of monarchs, where the, even down to the cities and towns, there would be kings and queens and and what. There would be no overarching central government or anything of that nature. There would just be a lot of monarchs that would that would control cities and towns, and it would be highly decentralized, right? Kind of like going back to the you know old the Middle Ages and whatnot. But anyways. This stuff is scary and it freaks me out because I always wonder, like being a Christian, okay, I believe in premillennialism and pre-tribulation. What does that mean? That basically means that I believe that the Christians will get taken out of the world and the church, ultimately the Christian body uh, of believers will get taken out of the world before the one world government comes about. In fact, I believe that the one world government can't come about as long as Christians are out there speaking the truth and speaking against this. I don't believe that it could happen. I could be wrong, but that's the idea. And ultimately, once the church becomes ineffective, basically, God would take the church out of the world and the one world government would be left to be uh, created by the Antichrist and, and whatnot. But with that said, that's what I believe. And I don't know if I'm 100% right, right? I, I don't know. It's it's stuff that I've read in the Bible. It's stuff that I've always believed. It's stuff that I've seen in my studies. But I have to say, I've always wondered how bad will it get up until that point? I don't know if a lot of people or a lot of Christians or whatnot, I don't know if a lot of people have ever asked that question. How bad is it going to get before we get to that point? You know, I mean, they're talking about, you. I mean, transhumanism, merging humans with robots, basically, you know, cyborgs, effectively, they're talking about, again, eugenics, they're talking about basically, uh, you know, destroying the global economy of the entire world. I honestly do believe that a lot of the money printing, a lot of the bad economic policies, the monetary policies that you see around the whole world, I genuinely believe that that is not accidental. That is not, that does not come out of an economic illiteracy, right? That doesn't, that's not just because they're idiots. Now, maybe the people who are in the public eye, maybe they are, but I believe that it's all a concerted effort, not by one group like the Illuminati or, or whatever, but I do believe that it's all a concerted effort by a group of people that share the same ideology, at least to basically destroy all the nations around the world and then unite them under one banner after the entire global financial system collapses, after a crisis occurs that either collapses the financial system or the financial system literally just collapses on its own. You see, as nations exist, like the UK, like the United States, like Russia, as sovereign nations exist, the one world government can't actually come about. So in order for the one world government to come about, you've got to destroy all the nations. You've got to have a reason 
to unite everybody under one banner. And there's a lot of speculation that's out there as to how that's going to happen, whether it's going to be one big massive financial crisis. Let's assume, okay, if you're not a Christian, you know, bear with me here, but let's assume that you agree with me and that the the rapture is is going to happen and it's a real thing and it does happen. Let's assume that, all right? And, you know, basically they they could blame it on aliens, and unite under the world. We got we got to protect ourselves from aliens because all these people just disappeared randomly, and we don't know why. And you know, imagine that it, it, you know if that were to occur, you know, planes would crash, helicopters would crash, you know, cars would crash. You know, the 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 whole world economy. Think of Avengers: Infinity War when Thanos does the snap with all the Infinity Stones. People just disappeared helicopters just fell out of the sky. Tons of destruction just because people who were operating vehicles just disappeared. Tons of people who were pivotal and incredibly important in economic production and the economy in general disappeared. So the economy shrunk and ultimately the global economy took a massive, massive hit. I mean, imagine that it was a situation like that. I mean, we got a very interesting picture of that. In, in that movie. Now, granted, it wasn't because of some kind of, you know, religious Christian belief, but you got an idea of what it would, what it would be like. It's kind of scary stuff, isn't it? You know, they could blame it on aliens. They could blame it on who knows. So anyways, that, that's one speculation and whatnot. But look, the idea of centralizing power has always been around. The idea of, of uniting the world under one banner is nothing new. It's been around for quite some time, frankly. And it's just, it's a very, very, very um, concerning thing. And I look, I want to, I don't want it to be all depressing, right? I want it to be, look, I don't believe personally, as a Christian, I don't believe that it can happen as long as, as w- liberty-loving individuals, individualists, if you want to classify us as that way, you know, Christians that are individualists, that are liberty-loving, people of that nature, stand up and say no to this stuff. I personally don't believe that this is going to happen until the church gets taken out of the world, but eventually the church will get more and more watered down and then it'll become ineffective entirely. Now, if you're not a Christian, then you may not believe that it all pivots on Christianity like that, but maybe, but still, the idea is that individualism, private property, free markets, Let's say is fair. These are the things that need to be constantly promoted in order to prevent this stuff from happening. And I believe that we can that, that, that there is still a lot of time to speak out. Speak, I mean, you don't have to necessarily get in front of a mic like I'm doing here. You can just make sure that when this type of stuff comes up, if you know of people who are interested in this idea of uniting the world under one banner, centralizing power, maybe even in our own country, then, you know, maybe you say some things. If you got a great relationship with them, you think they might actually listen to you. And maybe you say some stuff even if even if you know they won't. At least put forth the idea of how individualism can be extremely damaged and destroyed entirely if stuff like this was to happen. But the fact of the matter is, ladies and gentlemen, this is scary stuff. We need to speak out against it. But anyways, let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and do the affiliate programs and then I'm going to go 
do one more article and then we'll close out the show. So let's go ahead and do that. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are interested in becoming a Forex trader, you want to take control of the source of your income, but you don't necessarily want to have a business, but you, you want to be able to produce money, you know, produce an income without selling a product or service to other people. Well, one of the best ways to do that is Forex trading. Ladies and gentlemen, Forex trading is one of my favorite ways of becoming financially free. I'm currently on my journey to becoming a consistently profitable trader. I'm always investing my time in back testing my trading strategy stuff it takes a long time it's it's not an easy it, it, it's simplistic to understand it's actually much more it's not complicated but it's very hard to do right it's not an easy thing it takes a lot of time just like acquiring any skill if you want to become a coder you're going to have to spend hours and hours learning how to code if you want to learn a new language you're going to have to spend hours and hours studying and learning a new language well it's no different with regards to trading if you want to have this as a skill you're going to have to study a, a lot in order to acquire that skill and well that said if you want to do that you need a place to go you need some coaches you need some people that that are backing you you need some people that that are basically saying i'm supporting you i'm going to teach you what you need to know and tier one trading ladies and gentlemen is the in my opinion the number one trading coach platform out there all right yes there are a lot of other good trading coach platforms and stuff but i think that tier one trading is by far the best one now yeah course I'm biased. I mean, I got an affiliate program with them, but you know, honestly, I got the affiliate program because I like them so much. The fact of the matter is that these guys have taught me. They've done an amazing job. Akil Stokes, Jason Greystone, Charles Miles, they're absolutely amazing individuals. They're not going to turn you down the wrong path. They're not just going to teach you some strategy, which is very common in the trading world. You see people that all they want to do is teach you strategies and that's all they do. They just teach you a strategy and they tell you, go, okay, go off and go start trading it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I could give you the best strategy in the world and it wouldn't matter because you have no belief in it. You haven't done the necessary legwork. You haven't done the necessary foundational work in order to believe in the system itself. So I could give you the system that works the best, the best system in the whole wide world. It wouldn't matter because the minute you start going through a, a drawdown, you're going to start questioning whether or not the system actually works, whether or not the strategy works. And there's a lot of trading you know, gurus and trading companies, that's all they want to do. But at tier one trading, they're not going to teach you just one strategy. They're going to teach you how to create your own strategy. They're going to teach you a lot of patterns and stuff of that nature. They're going to teach you technical analysis, which is how to read price charts. They're going to teach you all kinds of stuff from you know, how to back test your strategy, how to forward test it, how to create a trading plan. They're going to teach you money management, which is how you exponentially grow your account once you become a consistently profitable trader. They're going to do a ton of that stuff. And it's really, really amazing. They're not going to teach you a strategy. They're going to teach you how to create your own strategy based off of your personality, based off your risk tolerance, based off of you and who you are. We're all different, right? We're all different individuals. We got different risk tolerances. We got different types of, of feelings about stuff. So a strategy that works for one person isn't necessarily going to work for everybody else. But that's where the, the beauty of tier one trading is. They're going to teach you how to create your own strategies and then you can create one based off of who you are and, and your views and things of that nature. So it's really, really cool. Guys, if you're interested in this, go check out tier one trading. Again, they're, they're really, really great. They're, they're not going to turn you down the wrong path. Look, I mean, I personally have been taught by these guys. They're really, really great. I wouldn't be 
promoting them if I didn't think that you guys would get value out of it as well. I got a lot of value in it. I'm still on my journey and whatnot, but I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. And I, I genuinely believe that if you guys are interested in becoming a consistently profitable traders, that you need to, to find those good coaches. And tier one trading is, in my opinion, the number one place to go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you are interested in this whole idea of becoming financially free, but you don't really know what it is that you guys want to do, then go check out Skillshare. Ladies and gentlemen, Skillshare is a great educational platform with thousands of educational courses. And in reality, they've got so many different high quality courses ranging from photography to coding, how to fly drones, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, if you're interested in trading and investing, they got stuff there too for that as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Skillshare is a great place to go. If you if you want to become financially free, you want to take control of the source of your income, but you don't really know how and you don't really know what you're interested in, then you need to get out there and you need to get, get some experiences. You need to start learning stuff, all right? And look, whether we're in good times or bad times, we always need to be in reinvesting in our own human capital. We always need to be in making ourselves more and more valuable by learning new skills. So ladies and gentlemen, Skillshare is a great place to do that. And currently they are giving you guys a two week free subscription. So if you guys want to go check it out, you just want to go see what it's all about and everything. You hadn't checked out Skillshare yet before, then go check it out. You get two weeks for free. You guys are absolutely going to love it. And it's, it's very valuable. I've used it personally. I've used it for YouTube ads, website design, email copywriting. I mean, I've used it for a ton of stuff and I probably will continue to use it for a ton of stuff going into the future. So Guys, go check out Skillshare. Go keep yourself valuable. You won't regret it. And last but certainly not least, ladies and gentlemen, we talk about inflation all the time. All right. Just in the last episode, we talked about a zero hedge article where basically China is getting into the cryptocurrency space, digital centralized digital currencies. And the main reason is they want to engage in a lot of money printing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, why do they want to do this? Again, it's it's a form of paying for all the debt that they have. And it's it's a way of a that a country in effect defaults on all of its debt and stuff of that nature. So look, even our own Federal Reserve in the US has talked about creating an app where everyone downloads it and then whenever unemployment takes up, they basically print money and inject it straight into your bank account. Ladies and gentlemen, if this stuff starts to happen, if they continue to give stimulus packages on a very consistent basis, if they continue to do universal basic income, if they continue to do this where they make it easier and easier and they start injecting money straight into the hands of the people that are just going to go off and spend it on bills and who knows what else, we're going to have inflation and it's not going to be pretty. So how do you protect yourself? How do you protect your finances, your savings, your investments? How do you protect your family? Well, ladies and gentlemen, in my personal opinion, the only way to do that is to get an insurance policy. Now, it's not like a a normal insurance policy. It's investing in things that are going to rise with monetary devaluation. They're going to rise with prices. And, you know, you can invest in all kinds of things. You can invest in, you know, there's all kinds of stuff that can do this, whether it's, you know, cryptocurrencies, real estate, you know, precious metals. Personally, my favorite is precious metals. I'm looking into cryptocurrencies as well, but... I personally really like precious metals. Why? Because precious metals, they're easy for me to understand and they're not that hard to get involved with. They're not complicated. You know, it's very, very simplistic. So, I mean, look, you can go ahead and you could do real estate if you got the money for it, but it's so expensive these days, it's very hard to get involved in that. You can go ahead and you could do cryptocurrencies, but a lot of people feel that they're complicated. 
right? And, they, and they're not wrong. Cryptocurrencies can be complicated and you should never invest in something you don't understand. So if you want to do real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, you really need to understand that, do a lot of research and understand this stuff. But I think that there's a lot of people where they just kind of shy away from cryptocurrencies in general. So my preferred method is buying silver. Now, this is not financial advice. I don't know where you are financially, but in my most humble opinion, I think that silver is one of the best ways to get that hedge against inflation, to start building up that insurance policy against the hidden tax that is inflation. So ladies and gentlemen, if you agree with me, if you're interested in buying silver, I got a company for you guys to go check out. Go check out Money Metals Exchange. Ladies and gentlemen, Money Metals Exchange is running a referral program where basically if you go and you're a new customer, you make a purchase, you mention my name, we'll both get free silver coins. Ladies and gentlemen, I absolutely love this program because while it's not as easy where you just click on a, a link and it takes you there, you buy it and whatnot, it's a bit more complicated than that. It's really great because we both get free stuff. You get a free coin, I get a free coin, and we both get to increase our silver holdings and we both get to increase our hedge against inflation. And it's really, really great. So, you know, again, it's not an affiliate program. So if you just click, you go buy, you know, it won't be supporting the show. So, and Hey, if that's what you want to do, then fine. That's what you want to do. No hurt feelings here. You know, I'm not going to be upset or anything of a sort. That's what you want to do. The more power to you. But if you love the show, you're thinking about buying silver anyways, you haven't bought from money metals exchange before, and you want to go give them a shot Then Hey, Consider mentioning my name and uh, we'll be, you'll be supporting the show that way. So that said, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to be it for the affiliate programs. And there's actually one more thing I want to talk with you guys about. And I've been mentioning it the past couple episodes, but I really, really want to just drive this home. I'm thinking about offering a service where basically I go in where I'm reading articles from the Mises Institute, fee.org, the American Institute for Economic Research, and maybe other sources as well. But basically the idea behind it is that I love doing the research, right? I love doing it, but I know there's a lot of people out there that they're not stay-at-home dads. They don't have the ability to go in and go to all these different websites and they don't have the time to spend hours reading articles and stuff of that nature. But here's the thing. You do drive to work. You do have a lunch break. What if they were all converted to like an audio file so you guys could listen to them on your way to work, on your way home, on your lunch break, maybe right before you're going to bed. You can you can binge listen to one or two different articles being read, you know, and there's really not a service that I'm aware of that's out there that does this. And I think that's a huge missed opportunity, which is one of the reasons I'm looking to do it. But I want to actually get y'all's opinion on it. I want to actually see if you guys would be interested in it. Look, let's be honest. Crappy stuff is happening throughout the entire world right now, okay? That's just a fact. And we need to be keeping ourselves up to date. We need to be reading these articles. We need to be understanding what's coming down the road. Otherwise, we won't be able to position ourselves and prepare ourselves for what's coming. So in my personal opinion, we need to be reading this stuff. We need to be educating ourselves. But if you don't have the time because you're working a full-time job, you got kids at home, you need an easier way to consume the data. You, you don't want to be going to all the different websites and whatnot, and you don't have time to read it. So it was all boiled down into an audio file. You would be able to not only keep up with what's going on, you not only be able to understand all the stuff that's going on in our country and in the world, economically speaking and, what, and financially and, and politically as well well, 
but you'd be able to do so by not having to go to all those different locations and whatnot because it's all centrally located in one area now. So if you guys are interested in doing that, if you guys are interested in a service like that, then hit me up via my email, Matthew at newmillenniumwealth.com. Let me know that you're interested in it. And you know, we get enough people, then uh, then I'll go ahead and start recording some great articles and for you guys. And I'm not going to be able to do every single one from all these different locations. I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that they post every single day. You could have up well over 20 articles posted between these three sources alone. But that said, if you guys are interested, let me know and we'll go ahead and do that. Now, it will be a paid service. I'm not sure how much money it will be. It's not going to be that expensive. It'll be pretty cheap for the most part. So I don't think that's going to be an issue for the vast majority of people. But if you're interested, let me know and we'll see about getting started on that. All right, let's go ahead and hop into the last article for today from Lockdowns to the Great Reset. This was again written by Anthony P. Mueller from the Mises Institute at Mises.org. And it was posted on August 1st of this year, 2020. So, all right, let's go ahead and read it. From lockdown to the Great Reset. The lockdown in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic has accelerated the implementation of long-held plans to establish a so-called new world order. Under the auspices of the World Economic Forum, global policymakers are advocating for a Great Reset with the intent of creating a global technocracy. It is not by coincidence that on October 18, 2019 in New York City, the WEF participated in Event 201 at the high-level pandemic exercise organized by the John Hopkins Center for Health Security. This coming technocracy involves close cooperation between the heads of the digital industry and of governments. With programs such as guaranteed minimum income and healthcare for all, the new kind of governance combines strict societal control with the promise of comprehensive social justice. The truth, however, is that this new world order of digital tyranny comes with a comprehensive social credit system. The People's Republic of China is the pioneer of this method of surveillance and control of individuals, corporations, and socio-political entities. For the individual, one's identity is reduced to an app or a chip that registers almost any personal activity. In order to gain a few individual rights and to be it only to travel to a certain place, a person must balance such apparent privileges with his submission to a web of regulations that define in detail what is good behavior and deemed as beneficial to humankind and the environment. For example, during a pandemic, this sort of control would extend from the obligation of wearing a mask and practicing social distancing to having specific vaccinations in order to apply for a job or to even travel. It is in short a type of social engineering which is the opposite of a spontaneous order or of development. Like the mechanical engineer with a machine, the social engineer or technocrat treats society as an object. Different from the brutal suppressions by the totalitarianism of earlier times, the modern social engineer will try to make the social machine work on its own according to the design. For this purpose, the social engineer must apply the laws of society the way the mechanical engineer follows the law of nature. Behavioral theory has reached a stage of knowledge that makes the dreams of social engineering possible. The machinations of social engineering operate not through brute force, but subtly by nudge. Under the order envisioned by the Great Reset, the advancement of technology is not meant to serve the improvement of the conditions of the people, but to submit the individual to the tyranny of a technocratic state. The experts know better is the justification. The plan for an overhaul of the world is the brainchild of an elite group of businessmen, politicians, and their intellectual entourage that used to meet in Davos, Switzerland in January each year. Brought into existence in 1971, the World Economic Forum has become a mega global event since then. More than 3,000 leaders from all over the world attended the meeting in 2020. 
Under the guidance of the WEF, the agenda of the Great Reset says that the completion of the current industrial transformation requires a thorough overhaul of the economy, politics, and society. Such a comprehensive transformation requires the alteration of human behavior, and thus transhumanism is part of the program. The Great Reset will be the theme of the 51st meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos in 2021. Its agenda is the commitment to move the world economy toward a more fair, sustainable, and resilient future. The program calls for a new social contract that is centered on racial equality, social justice, and the protection of nature. Climate change requires us to decarbonize the economy and to bring human thinking and behavior into harmony with nature. The aim is to build more equal, inclusive, and sustainable economies. This new world order must be urgently implemented. The promoters of the WEF claim, and they point out that the pandemic has laid bare the unsustainability of our system, which lacks social cohesion. The WEF's Great Reset Project is social engineering at the highest level. Advocates of the reset contend that the UN failed to establish order in the world and could not advance forcefully its agenda of sustainable development known as Agenda 2030 because of its bureaucratic, slow, and contradictory way of working. In contrast, the actions of the Organizational Committee of the World Economic Forum are swift and smart. When a consensus has been formed, it can be implemented by the globally all over the world. The ideology of the World Economic Forum is neither left nor right, nor progressive or conservative. It is also not fascist or communist, but outright technocratic. As such, it includes many elements of earlier collectivist ideologies. In recent decades, the consensus has emerged at the annual Davos meetings that the world needs a revolution and that reforms have taken too long. The members of the WEF envision a profound upheaval at short notice. The time span should be so brief that most people would hardly realize that a revolution is going on. The change must be so swift and dramatic that those who recognize that a revolution is happening do not have the time to mobilize against it. The basic idea of the Great Reset is the same principle that guided the radical transformations from the French to the Russian and Chinese revolutions. It is the idea of constructivist rationalism incorporated in the state. But projects like the Great Reset leave unanswered the question of who rules the state. The state itself does not rule. It is an instrument of power. It is not the abstract state that decides, but the leaders of specific political parties of certain social groups. Earlier totalitarian regimes needed mass executions and concentration camps to maintain their power. Now, with the help of new technologies, it is believed dissenters can easily be identified, marginalized, and the non-conformists will be silenced by disqualifying divergent opinions as morally despicable. The 2020 lockdowns possibly offer a preview of how the system works. The lockdown worked as if it had been orchestrated, and perhaps it was. Personally, I think that it definitely was. As if following a single command, the leaders of big and small nations and of different stages of economic development and corporations, mind you, implemented almost identical measures. Not only did many governments act in unison, they also applied these measures with little regard for the horrific consequences of a global lockdown. Months of economic stillstand have destroyed the economic basis of millions of families. Together with social distancing, the lockdowns have produced a mass of people unable to care for themselves. First, governments destroyed the livelihood, then the politicians showed up as the savior. The demand for social assistance is no longer limited to specific groups, but has become a need of the masses. Once war was the health of the states, now it is fear of disease. What lies ahead is not the apparent coziness of a benevolent comprehensive welfare state with a guaranteed minimum income in healthcare and education for all. The lockdown and its consequences have brought a foretaste of what is to come, a permanent state of fear, strict behavioral control, massive loss of jobs, and growing dependence on the state. With the measures taken in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic, a big step to reset the global economy has been made. Without popular resistance, the end of the pandemic will not mean the end of the lockdown and social distancing. At the moment, however, the opponents of the New World 
order of digital tyranny still have access to the media and the platforms to dissent. Yet the time is running out. The perpetrators of the New World Order have smelled blood, declaring the coronavirus a pandemic has come in handy to promote the agenda of their great reset. Only massive opposition can slow down and finally stop the extension of the power group of the tyrannical technocracy that is on the rise. And that's the end of the article. By the way, when I said when he was talking about how as if it was almost orchestrated, you know, big and small nations and different economic stages of development implement almost identical measures, I added in businesses as well because frankly, there are lots of businesses that are automatically as if they were mandated. They started all doing a whole bunch of different types of things. Some of them are going to require the, you know, vaccinations in order to come into the office, or at least there's a possibility that they might do this. There's a possibility that, I mean, some airliners are already saying they're going to require it in order to use their airline services. And then on top of that, ladies and gentlemen, in terms of diversity and stuff like that, that's been an ongoing thing within, with regards to businesses, how they want to prioritize hiring women and hiring minorities, which, you know, they say that's not racist. They say that it's basically fair and justice, but in reality, it's discrimination, which is what they accuse people of doing when they choose not to hire somebody because of their skill sets or whatever. They themselves are discriminating. But, you know, there are all these different types of things. It seems as though the minute this pandemic or at least this quote unquote pandemic happened, certain things that are destroying the nation are moving forward at an alarming rate. And when it comes to who you hire for a business, I'm not trying to say hiring a woman or hiring someone of a a minority group is, is a bad thing. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that that's destroying the nation. What I'm trying to say is you shouldn't hire them simply because they are a minority or simply because they are a woman or even simply because they are a man or white. You should hire them based off their skill sets and you should hire them based off, you know, whether or not they can help the company become more profitable and things of that nature. That's what you should hire for. If you're going to start hiring people for things that can't really be controlled by the individual, like the, 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 the individual's gender or the individual's ethnic group that they belong to, then, you know, in the end, you're eventually going to hit a point where you hired all of those individuals who are highly talented and now you're hiring people that aren't talented that you shouldn't be hiring in the first place. This is going to cause a lot of problems when it comes to the performance of the businesses. So anyways, that said, there's tons and tons of stuff that's happening. You know, environmentalism, that's also occurring. Again, this is something that's been that's become very popular with mainstream leftists and whatnot. And just like the ideas of racism, anti, you know, the ideas that racism is out there, just like all that stuff, this is what's being used to, to further the goals of this great reset, this one world government. Yeah, they don't really care about the, 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 about the environment. They don't care about social justice. They don't care about racism. Many of them may very well have been ra- be racist themselves. You know, quite frankly, I'm going to be completely honest, in the last article that we read, it talked about how weaklings, fools, more def- moral deficients are, are not going to be allowed into this whole new system that they're talking about, the, the, this whole new government. And that ultimately, that these people, they're going to need to go through some kind of eugenic process that will either kill them or make them better. And to be frank, there are people out there who are were definitely eugenics, eugenicists, if you want to call them that. They were racists. They didn't like uh, certain minority groups. Uh, there was a lady, Margaret Sanger. She was the founder of Planned Parenthood, and she was a huge advocate for birth control and, and, and things of that nature. 
but she has been tied to eugenics. It says there are many people that say that she was a eugenicist and she was racist. She didn't like black people, basically. She didn't like minorities. And so she, what she did was she created Planned Parenthood to encourage people to use uh, contraceptives, to encourage people to, you know, do abortions and things of that nature, which kills thousands, if not millions of babies, not just from minority groups, but also in general, every single year. But the reason that she did it was because she wanted to reduce the population of groups, ethnic groups, that she deemed inferior to other people. So this whole idea of, oh, well, we're really fighting against racism and social justice, that's a load of BS. The minute you start talking about transhumanism, the minute you start talking about eugenics, you know that there are those people that are up there who actually think that there are moral deficients or weaklings or fools or stupid people that need to be dealt with. And I guarantee you, there's a lot of people they're going to believe because they've believed this in the past that though, that a lot of those people are in minority groups. Now they're going to apply it to whites too, but they're going to, but they're also going to apply it to, to everyone else. How is that not racist? It is. These people are racist. These people are bigots. They think that, that there are inferior people that shouldn't exist in the world, that because of these people, we can't really bring about real change. Well, what is the real change that they really want? Do they really want to make the world better? Well, first and foremost, they do believe that the amount of resources on the planet are limited, so they think that the population needs to be controlled. Kind of a, a whole Thanos thing with the whole Avengers series. That is absolutely something that they believe. But at the same time, the type of change that they want is they really want to be at the, at the top of it all. They want to be at the top of the human, human food chain, the pyramid of power, as it were. They want to control everything. They want to have power over all of us. They want to determine who lives and who dies. And they don't want people to rise up against them. They don't want dissenters. So transhumanism is uh, supposedly a way where they will merge humans with robots or, or with technology and they will, in effect, create cyborgs that they can control. It's some scary stuff. But all the ideas behind climate change, social justice, you know, give universal basic income, these are just the crumbs that they're throwing on the floor for the everyday peasants to keep the peasants happy while they themselves are behind the curtains pulling the strings and basically orchestrating and creating a society that they are at the top of and that they benefit off of at the expense of everybody else. And effectively what they want to do is they want to be leeches on the entire world because they believe that that's the one way to become wealthy is to steal wealth from everyone else while they're the ones that live at the top. Whether it's climate change, whether it's social justice, racism, whatever it is, sexism with feminism, these are just the tools and the mechanisms and the vehicles that they are using to promote their own agendas. In the end, they don't care for any of it. In the end, they really don't even believe in it. Maybe there are some that are true believers, but I, I really don't think that they do. I think that it's all one big scheme for them to gain power and control while everyone else suffers. While all the normal schmucks have to live in squalor while they get to live this beautiful, wonderful life. 
and they are going to, to attempt to control every aspect of our lives. So what are we going to do, right? This is all getting a very depressing, kind of like I said before. Look, again, I, I think we are a long way off from this actually happening. I don't really know, but I think we are. So don't be afraid. I don't even think it's in our time frame. So don't be afraid of it. But again, we should certainly pass these ideas down to our children. We should certainly ensure that our children, our contribution to the next generation understands what this, what's really going on and understands this kind of stuff. We need to make sure that they get it. And then we need to make sure that they can plan ahead to try and insulate themselves, to try to avoid this type of stuff. In the end, ladies and gentlemen, look, again, I've already said this once before, but you know, I'm a Christian, right? I believe that a lot of this stuff is going to happen one way or the other. But I also believe that as long as the church is in the world and as long as the ideas of liberty, individualism is in the world in large quantities, we can hold back this tide. But we got to get out there. We got to start talking about it. We got to start bringing up the conversation. We have to start shooting it down when it comes up. We got to start informing people, sharing these articles, letting people know what's really going on. I mean, you know, the centralization of the world into one government has, like I said at the beginning of the episode, it's been tried before. It's nothing new. But because of individualism, because of free markets, because of people like us who believe in laissez-faire, because of that, we hold back the tide. And I believe we still have the power to do so today. And again, I don't think this is in our time frame, but it's just, it, it's very, very interesting stuff, right? I started reading about it and I, I, start, I, wanted, I started seeing it float around and I decided to research it. And well, frankly, this is what I found. And I was shocked. And I wanted to share it with you because I, I, I think you should be aware of it. You should be aware that there are people with power and money and influence that are out there, the global elites, that are actively working on destroying each and every sovereign nation today. They're actively working on hoodwinking tons of people and lying to them and convincing them that there are all these problems in the world that really don't exist. Or at least that maybe they do, like obviously racism exists, but not anywhere near the level that they say that it does. Climate change, yes, climate's change, but there's not enough conclusive evidence to even suggest that humans are the primary cause of it. The fact remains is that there's, they're perpetrating these lies only to accommodate their own agendas, to push forward globalism, to push forward the idea of a technocratically controlled, centrally planned one world government where they're the ones at the top and everyone else that they deem inferior is at the bottom. That's effectively what it is. And it's something we need to be aware of so that we can position ourselves not only to understand that this is the direction the world is going to be moving in. We can't change that. We, we can fight it. We can hold it off. But I think it's slowly going to creep forward as time goes on. While I don't think they're going to ever be able to achieve what they truly want, you know, at least not until what I believe as a Christian comes true, you know, the rapture and all that kind of stuff, I could be wrong, right? But the only way to really fight it is to talk about it, is to spread the word, is to teach people about liberty and freedoms and natural rights that we all that we have endowed by the creator. 
So, ladies and gentlemen, that said, that's going to be the end of the episode. I, again, look, the best thing that we can do for ourselves today is even knowing that all this economic calamity and the shifting of power and the and the, the shifting of governments around the world and countries themselves, how do we protect our families? Again, it's the same recipe that I say at the at the end of almost every single episode. Take control of the source of your income. Become wealthy and become mobile. Do not be tied to one country, one state, one town. Your loyalty and your patriotism is to you and your family, not to a country that doesn't really serve you, not to a country whose government is actively, who has individuals in the government and a lot of them who are actively working to destroy the very country and the very ideas that we have come to love so much. So we need to get out there. We need to continue to fight this. And one of the best ways is to vote with our feet. One of the best ways is to preach this message of financial freedom. Teach others that they are in control of their world. They are in control of their finances. They are in control of their death, their ultimate destiny and the direction in which they're moving in their lives. And that if they want to fix the problems, they have to get out there and actively work towards fixing them. They have to take action. They have to educate and they have to take action. Education alone is pointless. Education alone is not enough. We have to become wealthy. And we have to become financially free. And the only way we're going to do that is by educating ourselves, learning how to do it, and then getting out there and starting to and start doing it. And ladies and gentlemen, once we start diversifying where we live, diversifying where our money is, you know, what banks they're in and across the world, once we start having multiple bank accounts, multiple citizenships, multiple passports and whatnot, once we start doing that kind of stuff, we start pitting one government against the other and we start benefiting on the very system that these globalists have been trying to destroy, the decentralized system of the world, we start benefiting off that and using it for our own personal advantage in order to obtain a higher level of freedom. I mean, answer me this. How free do you really feel like you are? If you have a job in one country, got a house, got your whole family, got your investments all in that country, every aspect of your life is in that one country. And if that one country goes bust, what are you going to do? Do you really feel free? Do you really feel like you can control whether or not inflation happens? Do you really feel like voting is is helping that? Do you really feel like you have any control or power by having all of your stuff, your whole life in one country, by not controlling who's paying the source of where your money's coming from, by not controlling your income? I don't know about you, but I don't. And I didn't when I first learned about these these ideas of financial freedom, personal liberties, you know, financial empowerment, taking control of the source of your income. Before I realized this stuff, you know, once I did, I, I didn't feel like I was truly safe like I was, truly secured like I was. And I started understanding and realizing the risks. Now I'm actively pursuing fixing that, reducing risks, insulating myself and my family. Ladies and gentlemen, I would encourage you to do the same thing because in the end, I don't know what's coming down the, I mean, I know the direction that we're going and I, while I think we can hold it off, I don't know what's, what they're going to get away with before they actually achieve what they really want. And they might get away with some stuff that is very, very destru- destructive to our lives, 
So we need to be ready for that. We need to prepare ourselves. And becoming financially free, in my opinion, is the number one way to do it. Not digging your head in the sand. You know, I always find this interesting. You see this with Christians a lot. And you hear this in the church a lot. It's like, oh, we'll pray and, and, and you know, study the Bible and focus on, on God and whatnot because we should be focused on heaven and things of that nature. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't disagree with that. But what it tends to do, there's a lot of people that take that message and they only focus on that stuff and they bury their head in the sand. And they do nothing. It's like the whole story of the guy who's who's sitting on top of the, the roof of his house. His entire town is flooding, and he, there's boat after boat that comes by asking him that they need help. There's a boat that comes by. There's a helicopter that comes by saying, hey, do you need help? Hey, do you need help? And say, oh, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. God's going to send someone to save me. And then all of a sudden, he drowns. He had lots of opportunities. He didn't take them because he didn't recognize them. He was, I guess he was expecting, I don't know, angels to pop out of the sky? And lift him up to hell. I don't. I don't know what the heck the, the guy was <laughs> expecting in that in that story. But the fact remains, ladies and gentlemen, that there's a lot of Christians that th- they understand, you know, revelation. They understand some of this stuff, and they just dig their head in the sand. They do nothing but pray. I don't know. When I felt like I learned all this stuff, call me crazy. All right, <laughs> maybe you think that I am, but I felt like. I was, God opened my eyes to a lot of things, economics, finances, you know, trading, investing, all that kind of stuff. I feel like God opened my eyes to this stuff for a reason, right? And I feel like he did it personally to allow me to prepare and to allow me to do the necessary things so that I could protect my family and myself from the coming crisis, that is most assuredly on its way. And I I absolutely think that as my eyes opened, there was a reason for it. And I think that was the reason. And uh, I I don't know, I guess... (laughs) So I could be wrong. You know, maybe it's all coincidence. I I don't think it is. I I don't believe that it is. I believe that there is no such thing as coincidence. Everything happens for a reason. I believe that I've seen this in my own life many, many, many times. Repeated. I've seen it in other people's lives. There's always a reason for why something happens, ladies and gentlemen. There always is. Whether you agree with me about Christianity or not, that look, there's always a reason for why things happen to us. We can't always know it in the moment, but there is. And I believe that why I was my eyes were open to all this stuff were previously throughout my almost a big portion of my life I I didn't know anything about. But the reason for for it was be, to protect my family, to protect my loved ones in my life, to protect myself, to share the information with people like you, wonderful people who come and they share time with me each and every single week so that you guys can also go off and share the same information, so you guys can also go off and share the same idea of financial freedom and liberty with other people in your life. You know, if one of us does it, and then, and then we get other people involved who start doing it. Before you know it, one person can affect thousands upon thousands, if not millions of people's lives. You know, I know this one podcast, Wealth, Power, and Influence Show with Jason Stapleton and Matthew Erickson has, I think, 30,000 listeners or at least 30,000 downloads a day, something of that nature. It's probably an estimation, probably an, an average. But just imagine this, 30,000 people. How many of those 30,000s go out and start turning other people into these true true believers of these ideas. 
Which, by the way, that <laughs> that podcast is where I got a lot of my ideas from. I've been listening to Jason Stapleton for, for oh gosh, a long time now. Probably five, six years. Before his show was even called The Wealth, Power, and Influence Show. And you know what? My life has benefited and been better as a result of it. So I decided to go off and do the same thing. And look, if 30,000 people are listening to the show, how many thousands are those individuals influencing? It's a lot when you really think about it. It really is. It's a, you, you touch a lot of people's lives. It, so anyways, ladies and gentlemen, look, I think we need to get out there. We need to continue to share this message. I think we need to start working on becoming financially free, start living by example. And I think as we continue to do that, not only will we help other people, but we will set ourselves up, our families up, and future generations of, you know, our families up for success and hopefully for a beautiful and wonderful life. That's the idea. So, hey, that said, that's going to be the end of the episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to like and subscribe wherever you are. If you really are enjoying this stuff, make sure to share it. Help me get the word out that about the podcast. Help me spread these ideas of financial freedom and personal empowerment out to as many people as we can get to listen. And then, again, if you love what I'm doing, please go and give me a rating review on iTunes. And if you want to help support the show, then please consider giving a donation to the show. Even if it's $1, $5, whatever you guys feel is on your heart, please consider donating to the show and allowing me to come in here and provide this, not only provide value to you guys each and every week, but also it'll help me to spread this message of financial freedom to as many people as we can get to listen. And that is the end goal. So ladies and gentlemen, if you will do all of that for me, I will see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.